Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time, and I'm glad to be reconnecting with Brooke Jackson, the whistleblower from the Pfizer trials, to discuss what has happened since last we spoke. Now, you remember Brooke Jackson had her first live interview about this discussion after the big uh, multiple articles coming from the British Medical Journal. And we had this conversation about what was happening then. We were discussing what she was going through and what she saw, what she found, and how it was being responded to in the mainstream media and the other journals and other and representatives of Pfizer. And it's very interesting to see how that has gone since then. And we'll get into how she was treated and how the information was regarded. And the point of today's discussion is not just to review where she is now and what has happened since and the progress that's been made, but to sort of take a victory lap and realize that what has been happening is revealing that she was correct. And what has been now added into some documentation from the Q4 reports from Pfizer is interestingly saying the same thing. So let's bring on Brooke to have a conversation about that. How are you today, Brooke? It's great to see you again. Thanks. Good to see you too. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's, it's glad that I'm glad to have you back on because I think this is a really, a really important follow up for everybody that saw this and watched the development because, you know, as, as you yourself have expressed for most people that want to believe that there's, you know, that the institutions are by and large good and doing right by people. It was really hard for people to watch what happened with you and watch how very clearly you were proving what you were saying, documenting it live on the show, live in the articles or in, 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 in print. And yet they still pretended like it wasn't true. And every step we've seen these things continue to pan out. So it's great to have this discussion yet again so people can hear where you are and what's been happening. So first of all, just, you know, how are you and, and how have things been going since the last we spoke? <laughs> Busy. Um, again, you know, I, I started a new job and um, back back in October. So just really um, learning, learning the ins and outs of that and kind of watching everything. Um, kind of fall apart for um, Pfizer and, and all of those who I guess had, had doubt about what I was actually saying. It's pretty incredible. It really is. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the other things that I, that is just adding to the legitimacy of what you put forward is watching how this is like, despite the narrative, regardless of what's being said, I think everyone's beginning to recognize after 35 goalpost moves since the beginning argument of what was supposed to be happening, that this is not at the very least what was promised. And I think that's an interesting way to start when, if we remember from the previous discussion and I, and I do recommend, and I'll, I'll, I'll push it at the end again, because I think it's a really important conversation that everybody take a moment to listen to the interview that we had, the past interview, as I understand you had a recent podcast that you just had, and you've just, you know, just got, spoken many times with British medical journal, Paul Offit. And the point is there's a lot of this stuff out there, for people to remember and listen to. And I think this is now we're at a point where we're watching this be vindicated. You know, there's a lot Sorry, of safety issues. Ryan, I'm just going to stop you real quick. You said Paul off it. It's actually Paul Thacker. Oh, I am so sorry. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> so many names these days, you know, I, I, know. I apologize. I have great respect for Paul. So I apologize about saying that wrong, but thank you for correcting me. But the Which point one? Being, Which Paul? <laughs> well, the, the point being all of the information in these articles and the British Medical Journal research, I'll include it in the show notes for those people to check for yeah. themselves, but it is very clear. It's very clear. So starting off with the information coming from what we just saw on Pfizer coming from the Zero Hedge article that we just discussed on the mm -hmm. show yesterday, I wanted to start with this point because for me, and actually for those that watched the show yesterday, it was funny when I realized, I was like, oh, that's right. I have to reconnect with Brooke. I, I, my, the first thing I thought when I saw this was like, this is vindication, right? And I'll read, just reading the title for those in the podcast. It says, Pfizer quietly adds language warning that unfavorable pre-clinical -clinical or safety data may impact 
business. Now we'll go through the actual Q4 and Q3 reports that show and say, state these exactly. But just off that first title, you know, what, what were your thoughts? If you haven't seen this, what are your thoughts? And if you saw it before, what were your thoughts when you first saw it? To be honest, I, I've glanced at it and and I was sported, you know, just the, I guess, the red line of, of what changed from Q3 to Q4. Um, but man, my thoughts are, are why now? What's what's happening now that's that's making you kind of change your tune? And I think, you know, I was I was mentioning a few groups earlier, the uh, PHMPT, that group and their lawsuit with FDA and, um, you know, those those release of documents kind of um, slowly coming in um, has something to do with that. Right. Um, I, I think also that the British Medical Journal being so um, just standing their ground on, you know, the, the article that was published in November of, you know, last year, and then the Facebook censoring, just them standing their ground. Um, you know, it's, it's got a lot of attention. Um, and one thing I, I guess I just want to point out about that entire article was it wasn't about me. It was about, um, you know, the documents, everything that I was able to, to show. So they're not defending me. Um, you know, they're defending the, the, facts. the article's position and what was used to back it up. And that's a really interesting, a really important point is that this is exactly how we see them sidestep these in, the information in any context, whether it's in vaccine discussions or before, where instead of actually addressing the data, addressing the claims, they go after you and they undermine, did she work there? What was her background? And yes, these things are valid in regard to a larger context of a conversation, but ultimately are meaningless to whether or not the data is actually valid. And that's the main point. And it really does show you how willfully dishonest that can be like the lead stories example from facebook i mean not only have we sensed and that's actually i'd love to get your opinion about this watching them have to prove in a court of law or admit that their fact checks are in fact just their protected opinion that had to have been sort of vindicating for you as well right it is but it hasn't stopped them they still you know they still are able to do it right um you know so yeah bittersweet that's (laughs) for sure for sure but it, it is interesting just to see how they are pushing this regardless, why, you know, as the information is being at least poked holes through right now. You know, so the lead stories aspect of this is interesting because that should poke holes in people's minds for everything else that they're supposedly fact checking. I think that's the obvious point. But bringing this back to the Pfizer data in general, what I think is really interesting is that the main crux of your argument was the data integrity. Right. Like you were saying, it's not about me. It's not about in, in the sense of you. It's not about the background and whatever else. It's about the fact that simply recognizing that things were being written down without their, you know, without actually being aligned with the information, just filling in things to, to meet the requirements and so on. That is a, the definition of not meeting data integrity. And, that, and that's now what they're putting in the documentation itself, which I'll show next. Sure. Yeah. yeah just, it's, it's just blows my mind. It absolutely. There's nothing. There's something every day. Ryan, that that I read or that I see or somebody sends me, that absolutely shocks me. And you know, this is this is obviously one of them. I haven't read the complete article, but I get the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Know. Well, just for people to see, and this this is important, and th- th- this is the bra- this is why this is what caught my eye to begin with. And so, this came from Kelly Brown originally, an independent investigator investor, 
and ultimately has been picked up by multiple articles. But just so people can see for the quick breakdown, this is the Q3 report. Now, here's what's important to understand. Risks related to our business, industry, and operations and business development is something that's been, this will always be in these kind of documents. And what they tend to be is sort of these overarching things that can, can eventually present problems. Doesn't always mean it's something that they foresee as an absolute. That's the important thing to say for transparency and objectivity. But here's the important part. What it said before was all only a bunch of other things and further analyses of existing preclinical or clinical data. They added a lot. Now it gets into the idea about I believe it was actually this one first. Well, regardless, I can go through these. It says the outcome of research and development and activities, including the ability to meet anticipated preclinical or clinical endpoints. So these are kind of things where they're always there, right? Our ability to successfully address comments and from authorities, they'll act like these things are always generally there, but then they have more information that's been added, claims and concerns that may arise regarding safety or efficacy of the products, including claims and concerns that may arise from the outcome of post-approval clinical trials. Going forward, it says risks and uncertainty related to the efforts to develop and commercialize a vaccine to help prevent COVID, ability to meet anticipated clinical endpoints, as well as the risks associated with preclinical data. And it gets into the trials itself, one, two, three, or phase four data for community, supposedly the approved version or any other candidate in this program. Interesting. Real-world evidence, including the possibility of unfavorable new clinical, clinical safety data, right? And it gets into the idea of the data in general, the rate of effectiveness, right? So it just seems like in a long, the argument of zero hedge and a lot of these different points is why are they right now, and you give me your thoughts on this, seemingly going out of their way to add stuff that that inserts the possibility that this may not work out the way that they've been saying is an absolute up until now. What are your thoughts on that? It makes me smile, first of all, but, but I, I want to know why they they don't have to answer the questions that you're asking me right now. Great point. Yeah, I mean, that, exactly the point is, as they frame themselves as transparent and altruistic, and, and to your point earlier, as we all should know by now, they're doing everything in their power to not have to release the very data that would give us more to understand what is in fact happening, right? Trying to push it until 2076. That's out, that's outrageous to me. What I'm highlighting here is the idea that they're now under, my, will, will they even be effective against emerging variants, right? All these different things that are acted like they're absolutes in the mainstream media, will lead to information about efficacy, safety, and other developments, including the risk of additional adverse events, and some of which may be serious. Like, very, very different. Now, here's the main point. Challenges related to the public confidence or awareness of the COVID vaccine or Paxlovid or whatever else they're working on in this regard. This is focused on COVID-19, including challenges driven by misinformation access or concerns about clinical data integrity. Now, you could argue that they're going to try to make that out to be that it's about misinformation about that data integrity. But the point that they're adding this, and this is the contrast to Q3, it wasn't before. Now they're adding that it's afterward, right? The clinical data. So I think it's really clear to just take this to be as objective as possible that they've added information about the clinical data, right? And they could argue it's just because maybe it'll be a, a possible problem, but why wasn't in Q3, right? And that becomes pretty clear because now they know people are aware of these problems. And my point would be that should have been there in the beginning if Absolutely. it's something that they know now is now a potential problem. So go ahead, give me your thoughts. Yeah. Man, Ryan, there's just there's just so much. I think um, you know part part of it is uh, there's just so many so many things that are bringing all well, of us together, right? Um, the British yeah. Medical Journal, good. The um, the group that I mentioned before, you know, suing the FDA, them them trying to you know stall the 
the release of the data, then, you know, wanting Pfizer, Pfizer wanting to intervene in the, um, you know, redaction of those documents to, there's just so much coming, coming out finally. And I think, um, I think that has a lot to do with the reason that they want to, you know, kind of prepare their investors for information that, that finally is and can no longer be labeled as misinformation or disinformation. And and that's actually a good point to put out there for people to understand what these documents are really for. Oh, go ahead. You have another point? Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Really that the, so these are meant to be, you know, sort of internal documents that are for the investors and for the internal circle to be like, here's what we see coming and here's what we think might happen. And here's what we should might watch out for, which is why it's valid that these have only been added now. But what's interesting to your point is that it's like, you're, they're trying to get ahead of what they see coming in regard to problems, whether information, disinformation or otherwise. And that's just a really interesting idea. So if that is the reality, why wouldn't that be presented to the American people or to people around the world? Right. It shows inherent dishonesty, even from a corporate level, if it's just about profit, which I don't think it is. So I guess my next question for you would be coming from a person who was in these trials yourself and you, and actually maybe give us a quick rundown of some of the biggest things you might've seen for those that didn't see our last interview and tell us if, you know, if, why you think this is valid, that there are concerns and that they know that. Well, from, from the first day on the job, um, you know, I, I noticed a lack of informed consent or proper informed consent as, as the days kind of, kind of moved forward. Although there, there were, you know, I wasn't there very long. I was only, only um, employed for 18 days before, um, before they fired me. But every day it was something new from, you know, the lack of informed consent, like I mentioned to uh, falsification and fabrication of data, uh, improper temperature of uh, temperature storage of the vaccine. There was the unblinding um, or unmasking of the treatment arm or whether the patient that was enrolled in the study received the vaccine or the placebo, which is, you know, in, in my mind, um, huge just because of the amount of, of bias that that injects. Um, you Every know, this, one of those this, are gigantic. Every <laughs> one of those are gigantic <laughs> problems. It's unbelievable that these, they're being dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. And just what's hard for me is, is, you know, not that, not that I wanted to try and fix it per se, but you know, I, I, I was brought into Ventavia as their regional director to, to help them, you know, manage um, just the day-to-day aspects of, of these so important clinical trials and not just with Pfizer, but I mean, they, they were doing a lot of research, different sponsors, um, you know, so taking that information to them and watching what they did with, with what I was bringing to their attention is, and was fraudulent. You know, I, I mean, I have the documentation in my hand. I tried to help them understand, um, regulations and, and they just were, were very concerned with, with lining their, their pockets. Um, well, for those that I recommend people, all this is sourced, by the way, every single thing she just said, we have sourced linked to in the previous interview. And we walked all we walked through the reality about not only did they express concerns about missing things, doing things improperly before you were there, while you were there, 
but continued to show that afterward. And we proved that in the documentation that the, the very thing on the record they're saying is not happening is documented as saying we need to address this problem. It's just, it's that simple. And this is what's so frustrating from people, from my perspective, is that it's so very clear that what you saw was important and relevant. Not that it necessarily changes every single thing everywhere, but that it's very relevant to this case in this area and has implications for what is probably happening elsewhere. That's very real. You know, and it brings why- into question... If, yes. um, if this type of misconduct happened up in Tavia and it was, you know, I mean, one of the, one of the reasons was, was just how quickly the trials were, you know, were running, how the pressure was there from, you know, Pfizer directly to enroll more, enroll more. Um, if it, if it happened at Mentavia, I'm just, I just in my heart believe that it potentially could have happened somewhere else. Absolutely. And, um, you know, to, to investigate the the minimal number of clinical trial sites that they did is why I have been, you know, um, just really, really focused on um, what I would like to happen in all of this. And that is for there to be, be more clinical trial oversight. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. But to, but to bring the information, you know, to, to Ventavia directly, try to, um, you know, look at it from, from that perspective and then, you know, watching them do what they did and try to, um, you know, in my mind, cover, cover things up, um, you know, wanting to be mistruthful. Well, and let's, so let's, I, let's not mince words in my, they, they, this is a cover up. I mean, let's not, <laughs> let's, I mean, that's my point. If we are here at the careful. point now where we can stand back and say, and this is, this is me saying this, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but if, mm-hmm. if we're here where we can prove that you said that what you saw was real, prove that they acknowledged it was happening before, middle, and afterward, prove that they mm-hmm. d- denied it afterward and that they went after you personally. There's in my mind, there's no, this is definitively a cover up. That's me yeah. saying that, but that's yeah. pretty damn clear. I remember going back and uh, when I was going through my emails and, and seeing this type of stuff happening, you know, the fabrication, they mentioned falsification of data and that was going on back right. in August of 2020. Um, it happened while I was there and it certainly continues to happen mm-hmm. even, even now. Right. Again, which we proved when we discussed it, the, the emails we have in the links go well past that date, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's dishonest at the very least. So there, again, there's so, there's so much more that we got into in that first interview and it's, it's really yeah. staggering to see the in-depth of it. Like I, the part for me was the filling in of the numbers and how clearly they weren't even meeting the minimal requirements for safety around the blood samples. I mean, it's just outrageous. Yeah. The mislabeling of samples, right. you know, I, I talk a lot about, um, the safety of, of the subjects and, and not, not, not assessing them after they were injected for the protocol and just leaving them in the hallway. And, and I really, I don't know if people really understand what, what, what that means. And um, it's, it's just, it was per the protocol. It's something that you did, you know, or you're supposed to do is, is make sure that that patient was okay after they were injected whether it was with the placebo or the vaccine, and that just frequently did not happen. So how many adverse events did we miss? How many severe adverse events did we miss? Well, here's something interesting, actually, since you're bringing this up. I I was possibly going to talk about this later today in regard to the new UK data, but I don't know if you've seen this in Alberta, and this has actually been very clearly shown in most every location you could find it. And we've seen the 14 to 21 day 
period where they wait and say, well, you're not technically vaccinated until this period. And there, right. there's not a real scientific reason why you wouldn't at least consider that that could be caused by the injection. They just ignore it. Right. In fact, it's been shown that those numbers get kicked back into the previous category. And in fact, what's interesting about that, and I can show you this right on this documentation here. First of all, that in Alberta, at the very least, and as well as the UK and Scotland, everywhere else, they very clearly list that these numbers are these many cases that were unvaccinated or diagnosed within two weeks, right? So the point is, up in, if you have 13 days after that one dose, it gets kicked back into unda- unvaccinated. Now, that becomes really relevant when you went with what they put out and then deleted because they didn't want anybody to see it. It's valid. You can confirm with other locations. I don't know if you've seen this, but within the first 21 days and, and 14 specifically for hospitalizations and deaths are where the incredible vast majority of all the problems happen after the first shot. Right. So that effective 14, 21 day window hides almost everything that's happening in that first period. And that ends up being dumped into the unvaccinated category. Isn't that interesting? Right. And so then my point is, as we're talking about these people being put in the hallway, I instantaneously after this is happening, that period from there up until that 21 day periods where everything is happening. So I guarantee there were missed problems, whether it's a sore arm, a headache or whatnot. But that's the whole point. Right. The trials yeah. document everything. That's why we do research, you know? Right. It's very, it's very interesting to me. Well, on, on, the, on the note of where you are today, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I really want people to go back and watch that in general and get the in-depth. Because, you know, don't just take our word for what we're saying here. Go back and this is what we always say on the show in general. Do your own due diligence. Source it. Confirm it. You know, don't just take our word for it. But so now you're at a point where mm-hmm. there's litigation ongoing. Now, I, I, I don't know whether... Hard. I'm sorry, Ren. I'm just going to go back to that statement that, mm-hmm. that you just made, you know, for people to, to, to source their own information. It's so hard nowadays because who, who yeah. do you trust? It's you know, that, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's been crazy to kind of watch it. Um, it kind of unfold the, the misinformation, the disinformation and that really just, just to point this out really quickly. I watched that happening very coming down very early, very early on. Uh, and that's the reason that I took the, the information that I did to the British Medical Journal, mm-hmm. because I needed, you know, this, I needed a scientific, um, you know, mind to to review the data objectively, which I knew they would do. And it, it wasn't, again, about me, it was about about the information. And, and so that, that that's why I took it. That's why I took it there. I'm so glad I did that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were literally doing your job as the regional manager. That's what's so hilarious to me that they pretend that pointing out problems wasn't your job. It's just, it's, it's counterintuitive to pretend as a manager, you shouldn't be trying to correct problems where you're working. It seems silly to me, but I think that's pretty obvious. But you're so right, though. You know, we're at a point today where it's it, it's intentionally being made to be next to impossible for the average person to vet the material coming from the mainstream. That's the different point I want to make is, you know, for the last American Vagabond, it's very easy. Because all the links are listed for you, right? But I know that's what you meant is the way that they're the mainstream right now. And whether it's the media or, or CDC or the FDA, in fact, plenty of experts have come out and said the CDC data, and I've made this point on my show, it's almost impossible to actually vet because of the way they present it and they omit certain parts of it. So you have to just take their word for it. Like compared to at least like the UK, Scotland data, at the very least, we can, we can cross-reference what they're showing us. That doesn't happen in many places. And that's pretty dishonest right now. Yeah, pretty dishonest. But going into the litigation, I did want to talk to you about this because I, I know I'll, I'll preface this by saying I don't know how much we can get into. I'll let you discuss this if you if you'd like. But I, cause I do know that there's certain things that shouldn't be talked about before. So, you know, it's it's public and so on. But are, are are you able to get into that and let us know what's been happening and and you know the current litigation that's ongoing in regard to what you found out? 
Yeah. So a couple, couple things. One, you know, we talked about uh, Ventavia releasing a statement that I was employed for, for those two weeks, but none of my job responsibilities had anything to do with the clinical trial in question, which was um, just, just blatantly false. Um, a well, lie. Can, I, can I add a quick point to that too? I find that to be irrelevant, quite frankly. Like the point is you were an employee there, right? A manager, in fact. And mm-hmm. are, you, are they really suggesting that if you walked by a bag of needles in the hallway that you should just go, oh, someone else's job? <laughs> I mean, seriously? <laughs> just Anyway, please continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So none of my job responsibilities had anything to do with the clinical trial in question. So my attorney sent them a cease and desist and requested that they retract that statement and issue a, a public apology, which I'm, I still have not received. In fact, once they received, you know, that, that original CND, they had 30 days to respond. They waited till that 30th day and then sent their response. And their response was that they were, or actually what they were requesting was that we submit documentation that showed that I had completed every training course and material that was required of not only Pfizer, but also Ventavia. So that's kind of, that's was their angle. Um, I, I will tell everybody upfront that there was no way that I was able to complete every single training that either Pfizer or my company had. First day on the job, I was reviewing charts. I was, you know, uh, dealing with HR type issues because uh, there was just a lot of drama um, in that company. So, but yeah, that's their kind of uh, <laughs> um, what what they meant was that she didn't have you know, or complete any of the training. And one specifically that they're they're talking about with regard to Pfizer was. Um, an online platform that they use to pull documents and, and subject material, et cetera. Uh, and that training wasn't necessarily required for me because I, I wasn't um, patient facing. So it, it's kind of like, okay. So we sent them, um, you know, our response. And that was basically what I just explained Um Here's documents that show I was on the trial. Here's, you know, one from the CEO, especially that was pointing out and introducing me as the new regional director and uh, listing the clinical trial sites that I was going to be um, overseeing. So we're just waiting on the risk of being redundant. I mean, this is the same point. Like I want people to take a minute and think about this. So you present a problem. Let's just pick any one of them, right? These people aren't being observed in the hallway, right? Whether or not that's even your actual job description, whether or not you've completed some training course that potentially is even irrelevant to what you're seeing in the hallway, is it, it's, I don't find, I don't see why that, like their point is they, instead of going, okay, here's a problem and let me explain why she misunderstood that. And then maybe say, here's maybe why she misunderstood it because of whatever course. Instead of doing that, they just attack you personally and say, she didn't do this. Meanwhile, your claim still rests there in the open. Are they suggesting that it's real, but because you didn't have a training course, that it doesn't matter? You see what I mean? Like it, it, that, that's dishonesty and it has to be seen that way. If they actually wanted to be honest about addressing what you put forward, they would address what you put forward and explain why it wasn't actually a problem. 
We've proven that it was a problem. All they want to do is pretend that you somehow don't understand what you're looking at. And that's proven to be false because of your previous work history. It's not like you just stumbled into this job and woke up from never working before this. You know, it's it's just it really frustrates me of how they're trying to attack your character. You know, well, it frustrates me, too. And, you know, I guess. It just makes me feel like. um like some people still don't still don't believe what I'm saying. And, um, you know, to have them make that statement just kind of, you know, I guess fueled that a little bit. And, right. you know, it's one thing for it to, you know, be, be just um, locally. But I mean, this that statement of theirs went went all over um, because of, you know, the, the couple of people that picked it up and decided to run with it. You know, you mentioned Paul Offit in the very beginning of, of this broadcast. And he even said, you know, it just seems like a, you know, this was a statement that he made in MedPage today, mm-hmm. um, that it sounds like it's just a bunch of hand waving. And, you know, if, if I have a whistle to blow, I should blow it. Um, that's a coward speaking, right? That's a, in my opinion, that's a person who is speaking out without doing their due diligence because of what they think the narrative is supposed to be. And I, again, aggressively apologize for conflating those two. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Paul Thacker is going to think that's funny too. Okay, good, good. Because he does yeah. great work, but it, it's just so, it's just so inherently frustrating because again, we've proven these things and all he's trying to do is undermine that. The, he's taking a subjective stance. That's not what an honest journalist does. You know what I mean? Like, and, and this is stuff, it, again, the point would be if he wants to pretend you're wrong, then address what you're putting forward. Look at the information we put in the show and hold it up and say, here's why this is not correct. They're not doing that, right? They just want to go after you subjectively. And that's just straight dishonest. But I think you, to your point, people like the office and whoever else out there, I don't, they want to believe the narrative. They want to believe what they're being told is what is supposed to be thought. And that's why I don't think to maybe give you a little positive note is I think most people do believe you. And I think the problem is that what you, what gets pushed out by the media is what they want people to see. And so they're leaning into the minority, in my opinion, that will blindly take whatever they say is the truth. And those people are hard to fight for anyway, because they don't want to see them. You know, that's how I see it anyway. It's tough. It's tough. I did, uh, (laughs) I did tweet him the other day, Paul Offit and, and asked him, um, you know, Right. I, I guess I made a statement to him that, hey, uh, I blew the whistle. Now what? Right. <laughs> I mean, because it's been. Crickets. <laughs> yeah, crickets. Crickets. I mean, I, I think it's important to to point out, too, how long this has been going on for me. I mean, we're right. talking about over over 500 days on the five on the 500th day I sent, um, you know, just kind of a, a tweet and said it's, it's been it's been 500 days since I informed the FDA that this fraud and misconduct in the, you know, phase three trial of, of Pfizer's vaccine was going on and, and still no investigation. And that just blows my mind really. I'm glad you did that. That's actually really smart because you, you they need to continue. I hope you do that every hundred days, every 500 days, I keep doing it. This now we're well, on hopefully thousand I won't days have and nothing. To do that. I don't yeah. want to do that anymore. I just want no. them to go, go. Why can't you just go look, look at it, go look at the site, interview yeah. me. Right. And let exactly. me show you what I have, not just me, but, but all the other people that came forward anonymously right. and, and had the same story to tell. 
That's a great point, though, right there that I don't think we should skip over because we I think we briefly talked about this or maybe I mentioned on the show. But it's important for those that may not have heard that, that there's been other people that have come forward after oh, yeah. what Brooke came forward with. And yet still it's considered to be I mean, th- again, this is why it's becoming undeniable that this is a cover up. I mean, it's not becoming it is undeniable because of what that's already been proven and they're dragging their feet on it. Can I, can I ask you, since this is something we just kind of briefly touched on, like, sure. there's been a lot of things that have changed in your life since this, right? There's been a lot of, you know, this, one, one point I always like to make about any whistleblower in this kind of situation specifically is people try to frame it like you're doing this to get attention or something, which is just a really hollow argument because of how much negativity and loss comes after this, which we've seen all, all through this COVID-19 situation. So would you mind touching on some of the things that have happened to you since this, like problematics, hardships? career, you know, everything, you know, what the negatives that you have to dealt with by doing the right thing, essentially, if you, if, if you want to. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't have a problem sharing that. Cause you know, I, I it has, it ha- was initially like super hard. Right. I mean, I, I had this information, I had this, um, agency that, and I get a lot of shit for this too, but I trusted that, um, the FDA was going to do what, what they were supposed to do and they were going to investigate the site. And, you know, um, we all did at some point I did. And we all did. Like, that's my point is anybody at some point you go back far enough, bought what they were being told. It's everybody has a moment yeah. where they realize it. And the ch- the difference is how you go forward from there. And I applaud you for that. Well, I've had, I've had a few moments, that's for sure. But, but, you know, one being fired, you know, that, that sucked, mm. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, for, for doing the right thing. Um, and, and, and such a, an important time. So, so getting laid off, um, losing, losing trust in, in the FCA completely. Oh man. Um, you know, after, after the FCA contacted me, the, the one and only time on, I guess about 40, it was the 29th of September, 2020, just to kind of go over my complaint. We spent an hour talking about it, going into detail uh, about, about the concerns that I laid out there. A few days after that, on October, October 9th of 2020, I started getting phone calls on my personal cell phone um, number, which only Ventavia and the FDA had. Hmm. So I get, I start getting phone calls uh, from, from this unknown number, which I didn't answer. They were repeated back-to-back phone calls three three separate times that I just let my voicemail pick up. And then right after the third call, I started to get text messages. And the text messages were um, from a gentleman named Mark Barnes, who um, identifies himself as Pfizer's attorney. So the text message starts out, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but it starts out by, by saying, uh, Miss Jackson, my name is, you know, Mark Barnes. I'm Pfizer's attorney and, um, you know, basically wanted to, to talk to me about the concerns that I relayed in the clinical trial. So my first question back to him, my first text was, how did you get my phone number? Right. And how do you know my name? And he says, uh, basically, that that he assumed my name and 
got my, got my, sorry, he assumed my name and wanted to address concerns that I had relayed to um, a site liaison that works with uh, Pfizer and Ventavia. So then I replied back to him and I said, well, that's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I never, I never gave this site liaison my name, certainly never, uh, called him from my personal cell phone number. I always, I, when I talked to that gentleman on the 26th, the day after I was fired, I talked to him on a number that he called that didn't even belong to me. It was a a private number. Mm. So, um, so for, for, for that, I mean, for somebody to, to figure out my phone number, to assume that my name is Brooke Jackson and then to talk about a call that I made completely anonymously in my mind was their Pfizer's way of intimidating me. And it, it certainly did. Um, right. You know, well, I, can I ask you about Ventavia sure. specifically about the, the, so clearly Ventavia would have your phone co- information and, mm-hmm. and so on. So what's the legality there after being fired of Ventavia clearly handing over your information to Pfizer, or I guess you could argue Pfizer's lawyer digging this up somehow, but then how would he know you? And why, you know what I mean? Like, obviously there's coordination behind the scenes. That's why this happened. But my point is, is it illegal for Ventavia to hand over information if that's what happened? And do you know that by chance after you're fired? I don't know. I, I do know my attorney is, is working, I guess, um, on, on all of that and, and trying to figure out where we're going to go from here. Good. Um, especially after finding out who, you know, who this Mark Barnes character um, is. So, yeah, I mean, the intimidation part, you know, Ryan, going back to how this has affected me, you know, for a long time um, and, and still, I guess, even 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 a little bit today, I feel a little bit more comfortable now that at least my story's out there, that the more people that that know it, um, mm-hmm. kind of the safer that I am. It makes me really unhappy. Really, it makes me sick to my stomach that you in any mm-hmm. way feel like you're even that you have to worry or that you might be at threat. That bothers oh, Ryan, me quite a bit. There hasn't been a day that I haven't, you know, that I haven't looked over my shoulder and thought, what, what more, what else is Pfizer capable of? You know, I, I travel for my job now and I, I know this may sound silly, but I'm on a plane, you know, three or four times a week. And I always like, I always like this little thought runs in my head, like, Oh my gosh, what if they take my plane down? But I know it's silly and I can't think like that, but I mean, it, it does, it does pop in, you know, pop into my but head. To be very clear for people, it's it, the, the idea that something like that could happen or that powerful entities, companies, governments, or otherwise would be capable that the idea that that's crazy is ridiculous to me. Like, obviously it, it's something that's probably might be a, a reach or a stretch in some cases, but historically speaking, that's happened. Like, let's not, let's not mince words here in regard to governments or anything else or foreigns or it's obvious that that's possible. So the idea that, let me go back to this, actually, in regard to Barnes and what he said on the phone call, what was it exactly that made you feel like that was possibly meant to be intimidating? Was, was, what was the end result of the phone call? What was he trying to get from you? You know, break it down for me. Yeah. So when you, when you look at the, the text message, the entire thread, I guess one, one can look at it like, oh, well, Pfizer's just, you know, doing their diligence and trying to follow up on a concern and, you know, applaud them for that. But to me, like it was um, the repeated back-to-back phone calls, Mm -hmm. um, one right after the other. 
And then the text message starting by using my name, which he should not have known. First of all, my I feel like my information that my company had about me should have been private. Um, and same for for the the information that the FDA and you know had on me. It shouldn't have been shared with Pfizer, you know, and that kind of like made me and and my attorney think too, like, are they, are they part of the reason that I was fired? I, I think my personal opinion, I think that's very clear. I mean, for those that haven't seen the previous interview, the, the point was the timeline is obvious where you reported the information and then, at, you know, and then it was, it was just a matter of time, like right after that happened where, the, where it turned back around and it was, you know, it, it, to me, it was clear that at, looking at the timeline that that was because of what you put forward. That's yeah, I mean, I, my, my FDA report went out the, uh, like around nine o'clock in the morning uh, central on September 25th. And by three o'clock in the afternoon, I was, I was canned. Yeah. That's just very clear. Now to be ob- to be ob- you know, fair about it, 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 there could be something else in there, but these are just obvious things when you see that kind of correlation to, to take at face value that there was a court, there was something there. I mean, the idea is that that all, when you look at the documentation that you provided in the interview, it then becomes obvious, right? The way that these things have been went on afterward and so on, but it really, and then then their attorney calls me, you know, it's just exactly, exactly. And I want to make a point there too, is that think of people may try to make that sound logical that, well, you know, you made a complaint. So they gave it to Pfizer. They could contact you, but take a step back and think about what that is. Ventavia does not always work for Pfizer, right? Ventavia is a separate company that was hired to conduct this by Pfizer. So the point is that's sort of like the government contacting a company and saying, give us the information of this person or even just another company, right? The idea that they would hand it over to a separate entity because they ask for it, that I promise you that's a violation of their own rules and and the law in regard to employer privacy. I can promise you that. But it's interesting how they'll sidestep that based on everything that's happening today. I mean, I think we've seen that the law doesn't really seem to matter to people in these positions when they scream danger and, you know, emergency and everything else. It all just goes out the window, it's, which is sad. But yeah. I, I just want to say it again, that it really, one of the things out of all of this, even from our first interview that really stuck with me was how much this seemed to affect you. And I, I can't get past how this is what it looks like to do the right thing in this society today. And I really want people to think about what that means, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's tons of stories out there. You know, I, I, People reach out to me all the time. Um, I actually just got contacted by um, a group of nurses that work in in a veterans hospital that are kind of being targeted for for just asking questions and reaching out to me and asking me, you know, what they should do. And you know, the only like advice that I can give anybody, you know, that that's kind of in a, a similar situation, I guess, is is contact an attorney. I, 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 you know, I mean, that's, that's really the, the only, um, the only, the only advice that, that I can offer those people and just to, you know, be strong and keep doing what they were doing, especially those nurses that, you know, they're like, damn, you know, we've um, dedicated our career to helping people. And we just are in this situation where we're being forced to do something. And um, it's just hard. It's, I mean, there's so many stories. I, I'm not the only one. I feel like you know, um, because this happened to me so early on, you know, we're talking back in November of 2020, um, you know, the, the narrative was, was such that I really couldn't say, uh, what I wanted to say at the time. And, and I don't even really 
even still feel like I, I can't say it completely, but you know, the truth eventually finds it, finds its way out. And, um, I just, I guess I just stand with all those other people that have lost their jobs and, you know, are vaccine injured or people that have lost their loved ones from this vaccine. I just, I understand and I sympathize and I'm, I'm sorry that, uh, that I, that I just didn't come out with my story sooner. I trusted the FDA. I trusted the United States government to, um, to look at the actual action that I brought after, um, after I was fired and, and how they just, you know, kept requesting continuance after continuance and eventually, you know, when, when I, I warned them, I'm not going to be quiet forever. I have to come, I have to come forward with this information that they decided, you know, they, they didn't want to be a part of it. So um, that's kind of where we are, we are now and where I am now with the other part of the, I guess, actions that I'm bringing one, you know, was against Ventavia for, for their libel and their um, about my, my working there. And the second part was, you know, the, the false claims act case that I did bring against uh, not only Ventavia, but uh, Pfizer's subcontractor icon and, and Pfizer themselves. Good, good. I'm actually, I'm glad icon was included in there as well. I mean, everyone oh, yeah. clearly played a part in what's happening here. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad to see that the supposed, you know, I shouldn't say supposed to, you know, the, the heroes being framed like that of the time are 30 seconds later, the, the people that are killing everyone or, you know, it's, it's just so insulting that they can say that the, the nurses and everyone in the positions are all heroes and we shouldn't doubt any one of them. And then suddenly because they just don't do what they're told, they're just kicked off the table. It just shows you that none of that, nothing means anything to these people. It's all narrative, you know, and it's very sad. Again, this is what it looks like to do the right thing. Now I want to ask you about perception in general. I want to ask you where, you know, you kind of touched on that a little bit right there, but how about that? You know, what else has changed for you? Like, I think it's to make that point clear again, I think we've all had a moment where you realize you've been lied to about things. And then that kind of broadens out into starting to question things in general, where you start, you know, anything you go, well, is that really the history and so on? Right. So this was one of those moments for you, I think, where it kind of just opened up that door and now you're going, okay, what else am I being lied to about? You know, so from 2020 to now, when this started to now, what, what, what has changed for you in your perception, not maybe just in general or focused on COVID-19, wherever you want to take it. Hmm. There's so many, so many emotions, Ryan, that I just still haven't been able to place yet, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and realizations about a lot that I just really haven't wanted to, not that I haven't acknowledged them, but I'm just not ready to, to, to walk, (laughs) to walk down that lane yet. Trust me, everybody listening completely understands what you're talking about. It, it's, yeah. it's whether we're talking cognitive dissonance or what it's, it's a difficult process, especially when you're in the middle of dealing with people attacking you for trying to get there. <laughs> so it, it, the point is, like I said before, it's about how you go forward with it, you know? And so trust me, everyone's shaking their head going, oh, I was there <laughs> once, Brooke. We were all there. <laughs> I know. And it just, you know, uh, there's just, there's so much that I just have been focusing on my, my new job and they're very supportive. I, I had to, to come forward and, and tell them, you know, uh, my, my story a little bit. So they're just, they're, I'm so grateful. They've been, um, 
very supportive of, of everything that I, that I've been doing and, you know, focusing on, on my, my little family and, uh, you know, taking them to soccer practice and volleyball and really just trying to not keep my head down, but I've just been through a lot and it's taken, it's taken, gosh, we're into like year three. I just, I'm just ready for a little bit of a break and until I'm, you know, calm down a little bit from all of this, then I can start to, to think about what I, what I know is uh, coming. Right. Right. Take the time to digest it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think, I th- you know, it's important that people hear all of this and I'm glad to see that this has had this eye opening effect for you. Right. But I, I want, I want to finish basically by talking about where this you, you know where you see this going forward from here and it's really hard to to guess at right i mean who I, I personally have a lot of different conflicting opinions about where i think this will be tomorrow you know but you are you were and are in the midst of this right you're watching you understand the process where do you think this is going to go right now with we, we acknowledge in the beginning we're watching this stuff at least get pulled back to a degree. And a lot of the things we've been screaming about be, begin to be acknowledged as if they just discovered them in the mainstream media. Yes. But, you know, so where, where do you think in your, in your mindset, this will be six months from now, a year from now, you know, it, it, go ahead. I'll let you go wherever you want with that. Yeah. Ah, oh, Ryan, you asked some hard questions. I don't know. Didn't we just, uh, weren't we just laughing earlier um, about COVID actually just disappearing in the next, I don't know. Right. Well, that's actually the point was that's exactly what their Q4 was suggesting that, you know, who knows, maybe it could just disappear tomorrow. And it's like, hmm, that's an interesting thing to add <laughs> suddenly. You know, it, it's like it's almost like they're preparing everybody for the complete collapse of their narrative before mm-hmm. it happens. You know, you mm-hmm. could look at it that way. But I, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to try to project out out from there. But, you know, I'm sure people are interested on on your inside kind of insight on on how this might be handled or, you know, or, or maybe the better, better way to put it. Are we watching that handling? play out right now? Do you think that's why they're doing this right now? Because of people like yourself and what has been exposed? I think so. You know, I think, you know, the whistleblowers that are coming forward from, you know, goodness, from the origin of right. SARS-CoV-2 to, you know, my my story coming out in November to, you know, the, just every, there's so much that that's kind of, you know, been happening recently. Um, the FCA lawsuit and those documents coming forward, um, the data, I mean, it just, right. it speaks for itself, you know, and I, I think what, what's going to happen over the next, you know, six months or so is there's going to be even more people that come forward with, with stories about, you know, maybe the clinical trials or, you know, I don't know. But I, I think con- people are going to continue to um, understand what's been going on and what what happens to the people that are responsible. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know who to trust, you know, who's going to hold who accountable, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad reality to stand back and realize that the people you might once thought you could trust are suddenly the people that have been lying to you the whole time. You know, it's, it's a difficult reality, but it's a good thing at the end of the day, I would argue. Right. I mean, at least, at least from my perspective, I would much rather be aware of a problem than live in ignorant bliss. That's just my my personal choice. But 
I think it's important that we're addressing this. And I, as always, commend you for your courage, for standing up and taking all of the flack for, for what we should all be well aware of by now is that there's unanswered questions at the very well, least around the safety here. Right back at you, Ryan. I mean, Thank I you. haven't landed myself in any kind of like Twitter gel like, like <laughs> you. Uh, Facebook, yeah. Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, <laughs> all of it, you know? <laughs> I know. It makes me laugh every time I hear Twitter gel. So it's stupid. Silly. It is. <laughs> Well, it's a joke making fun of the indefinite suspension they do now. It's such a cowardly move to not, if they're breaking the rules, they should be deleted based on their guidelines. But no, they just permanently suspend you. So you're sort of quasi there. It just, you know, it shows you that they're, I think they're every action taken around all of this deception, in my opinion, is uncertain, right? I mean, the idea that we're forcing shots in people that haven't given informed consent. And, you know, it's a very weird, uncertain standing. And I think they know that. And I think that's why people are taking, like, censoring so-called misinformation. And then tomorrow it gets acknowledged in the mainstream media. That's why if you delete somebody, you could eventually be on the hook for that. Suspending another story, you know? Every action I think they're taking today kind of gives you insight into the fact that almost they are starting to see through it to a degree. I mean, that's just my own perception, but... Yeah, you know, yeah. your work has added to that. And I just, I, I thank you yet again for taking the time. And I'm looking forward to catching up six months You're from sweet. now, a year from now, whatever else happens next, you know? That sounds like a plan. Well, thank you for everything that you do too. And for everybody for just taking the, taking the time to listen uh, to my story. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, thank you for having the courage to tell it. And everybody out there, as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.